Today we are celebrating 60 years as a church. This is actually an image of the first building that we were in. It was down the road on M104. It was a Presbyterian church that was bought by uh, our earliest leader, Ron Smenge, and the first place that we had some location uh, to be in the church together. We're celebrating what happened over these 60 years. That's our intention. And you heard it in the video earlier, but I wanna remind you, it was this beautiful picture that Ron had a vision for a church to be developed in the Tri-Cities. And what he did was he went house to house, one step at a time, each door he'd get to, he'd hear not interested, not interested, not interested, got to the very last door he was looking at and the family that was unchurched said, we'll be there. And Ron said, we'll start a church. A great story of just step-by-step pursuit, even with closed doors, finding the path. Now, one of the fun things we have is uh, the, uh, the young man who was a part of this family as a very early baby uh, is here today. He actually uh, is playing in the band, and that's Kirby Chittenden. Kirby, you're over here, right here. Let's just welcome Kirby. Yeah. We're so glad to have him here and part of the legacy. And it was fun, fun to have him play in the band. Uh, he's serving at another church now, but he was a part of our story and our history. Dave and Dina Horner here. They're uh, European leaders for us and we're part of our staff. We're welcoming them as well. We've had different guests at different times too, but those are the ones that are here presently. And what we wanna do today is just spend some time together. Uh, I'm gonna have some time with Dennis and Ralph here. Uh, the three of us represent a lot of years of leading the church together. Ralph was uh, here first of the three of us. I know that's shocking as you look at the three of us. Ralph was here for 22 years leading the church and then came back uh, as a counseling pastor, really came in the day I uh, was voted on to be a part of the church and has been here ever since. And Dennis was here for 11 years following that in which he made some decisions to hire people like me along the way. And so, and then I followed Dennis. So we realized that if you add my 11 years and Dennis's, you equal Ralph. So apparently Dennis plus Pete equals Ralph. Although I have a feeling it's like 20 minus five. And, you know, you get there eventually, one way or another. <clears throat> what we want to do today is just allow you to kind of remember with us and celebrate what God has done. And so I want to begin, we'll go back and forth, but I want to begin Ralph with you uh, and I wanna just share a little of the backstory to talk about what happened when you got here. Uh, not a lot of you know the history of the Wesleyan Church. We're part of what's called a holiness movement. And there are great things with that. We have this wonderful belief the Holy Spirit changes people. We have this great history of caring for the forgotten and the forsaken. But we also have some troubling tendencies which we would just refer to as legalism. And so to give you a picture of that, when Ralph was a young man in, in the pursuit of ordination, uh, he one day out in public wore a short sleeve shirt someone saw that and his ordination was postponed for a year. It is both funny and scary, isn't it? It's like you can't decide, should I laugh or should I vomit? I don't know which to do. But I want you to get a picture of that's the climate with which Ralph grew up. Now fast forward, he's gonna lead the church and share with us a bit of the revelation you had and what it meant to you. I came in uh, 1975 and my background was such that... um, the messages that I heard from my pastors were mostly judgmental. I can't remember ever hearing uh, a grace-focused message. Maybe there was and I missed it, but for the most part, <clears throat> it, was, it was about being afraid, being concerned about what God was going to do to you, 
and uh, it was not a very pleasant kind yeah. of an atmosphere. And that <clears throat> turned for you, and so... It, it did. Um, I saw the problem with that, and I began to read the scriptures and attended uh, Billy Graham conferences and saw that my experience with the church was rather narrow, and I, <clears throat> I committed that when I became the pastor here, we would be grace-focused. Yeah. And we began to invite everyone. Uh, we told them, come just as you are, and uh, we won't leave you there. We don't want to leave you there, but come just as you yeah. are, and God will be there to receive you. And so that's how the whole thing started, and people started to come, yeah. broken and, people. And I think that's one of the things <clears throat> most of us won't realize is that pioneering decision brought about the advance and kind of the spread of the gospel in this area because we became a church like that. In fact, you had this statement, not if you're good enough, how does it? Not if you're good enough, just if you're willing. Yeah, I love that. And it really connects even with <laughs> currently when we say together because life is messy, we realize we all have our own mess. I still think back when you shared the story about your, uh, your ordination, I thought, oh my goodness, can you imagine if that church saw me? <laughs> like pagan central. He should not only shouldn't be a pastor, what's he doing in the church? You would not even be a member. I, exactly. <laughs> Boy, thanks for clarifying that. <laughs> I'm not sure if he said that with sadness or strength, but it came out. I like it. Ralph, as, as, uh, as we continue on, I want to hear really from both of you on this because you both have had significant moments, kind of epiphanies where that affected your heart on how you were to lead. And you specifically talked about you know, I don't know that I fit the prototypical leader, but God really spoke to me on what it meant and how I'm to lead. Tell us about that. Right. The, the thing that, in, that was the greatest encouragement in my life was I had this experience with the Lord, and I, I can't say that I've had it more than probably three times where I heard, I heard with clarity a message from God. I was driving down in my little Honda uh, from the mountains of <clears throat> the Skyline Drive, and uh, something had occurred that just brought this whole thing to a head. <clears throat> and I heard with clarity this message, Ralph, never forget, I'm your power source in everything you do. And that really became how you were to lead. I would never it? have made it without it. Yeah. I love that, and that's always been <clears throat> impacting, even as someone who's learned from you. Dennis, I know for you as well, I mean, you, you are you're a strategic leader, you love leadership, you've worked very hard at it, kind of in those skill building areas, but I know there's an internal world that's kind of shadowed that, that's been more significant related to prayer. Tell us a bit about that journey for you. I, th I think so many times I can lean in my own strength and, and exactly what uh, Pastor just said to us and, and try to figure it out, plan it out, find the right people, strategize the whole thing, and just so many times coming to the point where it's like, the, the, none of that's going to make it. None of that's going to work. We need God to do something supernatural. And uh, calling myself to prayer, calling teams together for prayer, prayer partners. I connected with so many of the prayer partners after first service who still pray for me every day. And just realizing that, that that's where it comes from. And just having even a renewal in my life over the last few months of God calling me back to what drove my early Christian life as a new believer, unchurched kid, uh, was prayer meetings. And we saw hundreds go out because of that. And just wanting to be about that again. 
Yeah, and I know that has been very formative for me from your leading. I remember when I first interviewed here, and I'd interviewed in other roles in the church and interviewed outside of that, even in missional places. And I still remember we're in this interview, and all of a sudden, kind of without command, Dennis announces we're going to pray, and everybody's suddenly on their knees. I'm like, oh, oh, I guess I better get on my knees. It wasn't a common practice for me. I'd prayed, but not even the posture of it. And that became a pathway. I... I was deeply impacted in, from your leadership. There were things we certainly did, and you said, boy, we know what to do. We're working effectively to take the steps. But the most significant moments as one who followed was times when you would just bring us together and go, guys, we can't do this. We just need to go to God on this and rely on him. And I think it cultivated a life of pursuit. And then I continue to grow in that from your mentoring in my life too. When I think about us currently, you know, we use the word abiding and it's really the idea that what Jesus simply says, apart from me, you can do nothing, is it's not that we have mastery, it's that we're with the master and that we want to live that way. And I think you have brought the legacy and we continue to want to live in it. Now, I know there are unique moments. You both have led all sorts of great things. We could look at great parts of the history, you know, from unique programs, what we had with, with young adults and, and students. We had this great Choral, choral program. We had the Easter production. We our youth ministry grew in other ways. Even being in offsite places, having multiple places, we did that. We watched it grow. Um, but you both had kind of catalytic events, I think, in your leadership that were significant. Ralph, tell us a little about yours. I know it related to this building and what happened then. Well, um, the um, <clears throat> when when this building started to be a matter of discussion. Um, we had about 150 people who were members, and they voted to build this building, which was out of sight financially for us. <clears throat> but the fact remains that um, when we got involved in a, in a capital stewardship program, and the, we said to each other, not equal giving, equal sacrifice. But when sacrifice entered into the picture, and we were not all from the same backgrounds or the same ability to give, but we gave out of sacrifice, and that sacrifice brought us together as a church. And we grew, we grew in our numbers, we grew in our finances, <clears throat> but more than that, we grew in our walk with the Lord. And sacrificial giving folks will always do that. And I think that's grown and cultivated, you bringing that heart of generosity. And you said it, 150 people voted. Like that was your critical mass and we're all sitting here in this space and then the other spaces have expanded because of that kind of faith and a heart of generosity says it's not for us, it's for others. The 16 and a half acres, yeah. same kind of things, a thing that occurred. Times where it didn't seem we could do it, but Couldn't it happened. It. Yeah. And Dennis, the same way. I know <clears throat> there were great things. Uh, one of the things we always look back, those of us who worked under Dennis's leadership, was he gave us a lot of freedom to try new things. We, we even put different venues in, in this building at one time. We were remembering back because we had three different services we were going to have, and we, there were three different kinds of Kentucky Fried Chicken at the time. We still have not landed on what they all were. You know, there's original, extra crispy, and some other kind, but we used it to be a metaphor for the three kinds of services. You can gather that I was involved in the extra crispy, just looking at me. That's it just was the hot it was. and spicy he was involved in. Oh, hot and spicy. I kind of like that better. Extra crispy just doesn't sound a little overdone, doesn't it? Um, anyway, and, and we, it was one of the great things we had as people who followed Dennis was there was a lot of freedom to try new things. 
But there was a defining moment too as a church. And tell us about that. You know, we were, we were trying to reach beyond just this, this community and, and do something more. And church planning was one of those things we just came to believe we had to do. And uh, there's this bridge over here that sometimes people don't like to cross and stuff. And so we thought, well, if we could start something in Grand Haven. That same time, we were carrying still debt uh, that we wanted to erase. And, and uh, we selected, and, and well, actually, Steve felt led that he should be the person, yeah. Steve Durr who was my favorite staff person at that time. Hurts every time you say it, thanks. <laughs> By the way, just so you know, Dave Horn's hurt too. Two of us are hurt, but we know you don't yeah. care. Yeah, yeah. Gina, Jennifer you weren't Brady. on staff. Okay, anyway, um, <laughs> moving along. Uh, and Steve really felt led, but it meant, oh, well, we were going to send out somebody really significant from our team. The youth ministry was really taking off at that time. And, uh, and then people started saying, I'd like to go. One of my favorite yeah. board members, not my favorite, but one of my favorite, um, <laughs> does that work? <laughs> said, I want to go. And I'm like, I don't want you to go. You know, it was fine to say, yeah. we should send 60 or 80 people. But when they actually volunteered, you know, they weren't the people that just came occasionally or you know, dropped a dollar in the offering plate. They were significant people. And, and we decided we had to do that because we realized that they're as fast as West Michigan had been growing over the last 20 years at that time. The Wesleyan Church hadn't planted a church in 45 years, and this was the last church that had been planted yeah. in a growing area. And we said, we have to do something about that. And uh, so we, uh, we planned a special service and launched, and the board was all behind this and had voted for it. And we announced that we're going to have a baby, and uh, that baby is going to be a new church plant. And we sent that group out. Uh, just within a week, uh, somebody came to me at the end of the service and said, hey, we really need to talk to you, Pastor. And those are always those conversations where you're like, don't tell me you're leaving the church or something like that, you know. And they hung around forever. I was greeting a lot of people, and they were so patient. And they just said, you know, we're so believing in the mission of the church, but we feel like it's held back by the, the debt that you had. And we had $230,000 in debt. And they said, we're going to take care of that today and gave me a check. And it just unleashed that when we yeah. took the first step and obeyed, God said, I'll take care of the rest. And we did that in faith, and it was a powerful moment. Yeah. So many of those. It was beautiful. And I have to say, as one you know, who was here in that season, I, I still remember in the service when you said to all of us, some of our best need to go. And it was like, that's so true, but please don't. Like, it was hard. And yet, watching how God moved in it, how grateful I was that you had the courage to tell us because it gave me courage when we'd have to say it again, which we did. And so I'm grateful for those pieces. And you need to know this legacy continued because we then partnered with Watermark when I moved into this role and planted what was then Ecclesia up in Muskegon. We said, we need to do this. We invited people to go, had people that went, uh, gave support to it. <clears throat> Interestingly, we intended to do the very same thing when we, we launched in Coopersville. Our initial intention was to plant. And make it, to make it clear, planting a church means you send people and it becomes its own church. It's autonomous. It's not part of you. You're sending and they're their own. So as we were preparing to do this, we're now meeting as a board. And the only way I can describe it is like it does in Acts, where they say it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. In a board meeting, there was this felt sense from the Lord, don't plant campus. And a campus is different in that it's part of you. It's still connected and you're still operating the same church from two locations. And so as we began to pray about that, the people that were going to launch with us said they had the same sense. And instead of being a plant, it became a campus. 
very similarly saying some of our best need to go, they're still part of us, but in a new setting. And then equally, this happened about a year and a half ago when Muskegon came up again. It was a church we'd helped plant. We'd helped replant it, and we're at a third time ready to help replant again. We're even involved with their board to try and help discern who to hire and how to do it. And as doors began to shut, we, as a leadership team, were away on retreat, and the same thing happened to us. We felt the Spirit say, you know what? I want you to campus, not to plant. And so we made the same kind of sacrifice to do that. And we feel it in Spring Lake even right now because there are a whole group of people that got up and now are out there reaching their friends in the community they live, which is exactly what happened in Coopersville, but we feel the gap sometimes here. But it's following in the tradition both of you did, which is we've learned to say we will give, not to take. And that will lead us one way or another to what God has. So we're grateful for how that built. Uh, I want to share just a little bit of legacy from the two of you, and then I want to turn to a couple of of other pieces that are significant, just things I want to give thanks for as I've looked back. Um, Both Ralph and Dennis have had a legacy of developing people, developing leaders, and particularly empowering, envisioning who could and how could. And when I look back at, at Ralph's tenure, Uh, One of the things we uniquely have as a church, we've always been a movement that's embraced and believed women can be pastors and are, uh, but it doesn't often play out. And Ralph, our church was one of the first churches to have a a female ordained in our district, if not the first. And Ralph and I talked about it. Kay, Kay, I almost said Kay Byworth, another K, isn't it? Kay Bush uh, was that pastor. And then Ellen Verberkmos became a second. And it was really fun to ask Ralph about it because he said, listen, I brought Kay on because she valued prayer and I knew she had a passion for it. I didn't think about any of those other things. I just knew she was a leader. And he empowered that and encouraged it on, which we continue to grow in developing the leaders God has for us and ordaining and blessing those. And we have some in the pipeline now. In the same way, when when Dennis came, uh, and I'm a product of this too, he hired many of us who were younger that he he saw potential in us, but most of us had not done the roles we moved into. But he worked really hard to develop us and work with us. And that became a bit of our legacy that's continued on. I've looked at previous staff and think of where many of them are around the country leading. But then I go beyond that to Dennis developed an interim program that we ran for some years. And we have people serving in amazing roles. I mean, leading seminaries and denominational leadership, leading churches, leading other kinds of organizations in very significant roles. It's not uncommon for me to go somewhere and run into someone that funneled through here at some time. And so I just partly want to thank both of you for the legacy you have of always pouring into other lives. You've both done that. And Dennis, specifically, I think of your life verse, you know, the verse about because you are precious and loved in my sight, I will put other people in your place, that you have lived that out. So we're just grateful for that and the legacy it continues in our lives that we want to live well in this season. I want to turn us to the issue of outreach and how we've been a church and continue to be one that doesn't say just for us, how do we reach out? So, So let's begin, Ralph, with you and kind of the local emphasis of this, how that began, how you began to reach out to people beyond what we do inside the church. Well, one of the things that I began to notice was that churches that are really making an impact go outside themselves. They don't pour all their resources into themselves. And we had zero mission budget uh, when I arrived, and I began to, to think about what we could do to reach, uh, reach out globally as well as locally. Yeah. And so we got to the point where we had uh, 30 different organizations we were supporting 
Uh, we had people going from our church like Ron and, and Barb Dawson and the Kilburys as well. Uh, and, and that just stimulated. When you have your own people going, yeah. it, really, it really touches the heart of reaching out uh, around the world. Yeah. And so that's how that began with us. It's beautiful. And I know, I know that you also, uh, even with the Coast Guard, you connected and provided a housing for an event here based on all that you had here and what you could do. That right. wasn't the most popular thing I did. <clears throat> there were folks who didn't like the idea of having the Coast Guard uh, Festival talent contest here, but we did that and it made a huge difference in terms of the awareness of the people of what was going on in our church. Many of the people uh, came back after they were in the church one time, they returned to be a part of the church as well. But uh, we just felt that uh, we had the facilities and we had the technology where we could really make a difference for their programming, and as a result, uh, they made a difference in our yeah. programming. And what a beautiful thing, a way to engage the community and a hit to take if people are upset. And I know you also really reached out locally just to people, you know, you, whether it was helping people in need and then ultimately through different events and activities leading people to Christ, which was beautiful. And, th and that kind of moves me, Dennis, to your tenure and the heart you brought of evangelism to us. Tell us about that. It was so built on, you know, the caring environment that was already happening here that people cared. And we just said, you know, how do we get people to go beyond the care to actually share Christ? And so we did a week of witness where everybody committed in the week leading up to Easter to share their faith verbally with at least one person. Uh, not just go on record as a Christian, not just say, hey, you know, here's a Bible verse, but actually share and we had so many people come to Christ during those times and, and raise the, the baptism experience here uh, in, in significant ways. And we talked earlier about in the, the year we said, let's go to the stadium over here in Spring Lake and let's have an outdoor baptism service. Let's pray that God raises up 100. And that morning, the people told me we had 99 on the list. And it was just like, where's the other one? You know, and uh, ended up at the end of the baptizing those 99 gave an invitation that if you've not been baptized here's what it's all about and another 56 people came yeah. forward and uh, God just used that in powerful ways as the testimony went out and that just compounded on all of the things that were already youth youth were bringing people to yeah. Christ and it was just happening at every level our children's ministry focused on reaching children yeah. for Christ and it was transforming yeah, and I remember such so wonderfully those times. I we had an initiative too. We called five. That you play for five people, five days a week, five prayers, yeah. uh, five simple things. And I still remember years later somebody saying, "Hey, my fifth one is now a faith person." That wow. we watched people come again and yeah. again, and and now we live that out. We just call it one life. Who's one person that you're just seeking to pray for and for God to lead you moment by moment, the Spirit leading in your interactions. And so we're grateful for that history. I, I want to finish going to the global side of this because oftentimes you'll find people say, well, our mission field's here, and yet we know how deeply the world is in need, how much beyond us. Ralph, I know that began with you for us, and you talked a little bit about it. Tell us specifically the, a, a little more with um, the Dawson story because I know that was a catalytic event here. Ron and Barb Dawson are key leaders here in our church, and we had a, a missions convention, a world missions convention with Don Bray uh, here, and at the end of that convention, Ron came up and said, um, I feel like I'm called to world missions. 
and I had ambivalent feelings about that. <laughs> he was key leader, key giver. I mean, I'm faster, right? And so um, that, that was kind of an um, ambivalent time, but uh, there was no doubt that he was called, and Barb and he were called to spread the gospel in, on a world basis. And uh, Ron gave up a six-figure income job. He sold everything. He sold his car. He sold his furniture. He sold his house. And talking about an impact on the church, that was huge. Yeah. Just seeing it lived yeah. out was a big catalytic event. Dennis, tell how that continued. Yeah, you know, and I was connected to that story. And I've told the story so many times because Ron got to the point where they got back in a borrowed car and had an empty keychain because they'd sold their house, given away their cars, everything, they had nothing. And he said, they both wept and said, there's nothing holding us back. And it was that kind of commitment that I think took this church to a whole nother level of, yes. if Ron and Barb would go, I should probably go too, yeah. you know? And that story impacted me and has continued to impact me. And, and just watching over the years how it's grown and how you've sent out so many people, you sent us out. I remember the day when Gwen and I were sitting at a dinner table after being here 11 years, and we said simultaneously, it's time to go, and we knew it was going to be missions, and then you sent us out. Uh, three years later, we called and asked Dave and Dina to come, and you sent them out, and, and uh, it just continues to grow yeah. because you believe that <laughs> you actually gain by losing. Yeah. You actually receive more by giving away more. And yeah. it's just grown and grown. And I, and I neglected to mention, I, I missed kind of in our introductions, but for those of you who don't know, Dennis now leads the global arm of the Wesleyan Church. He's our executive director for Global Partners. So he gives oversight to the movement around the world. I mean, it's a significant thing he has moved into, and we're thrilled that's part of our story and legacy, too, that we're grateful for. I, I think, too, of your tenure, you know, Mongolia was a field that opened up that we're continuing to be kind of forerunners in. We, Thad and I looked, and, and Rich Steiner helped us with this recently, but we have sent out 27 households into 21 different countries in recent years. And the thing is, is it's not a past thing we look at. It's actually growing in pretty dramatic ways. In fact, we're asking the Lord how we're going to provide for it because as you send more people, we don't just give from the church, which we do, but you end up getting involved. So our giving capacity has to grow just to send people. But we have three different families this year we believe will go on the field. And that's, that's amazing. In one year, three different families that will move on to the field because they sense that heart and calling. And I know one of them has been decided from Global Partners this week. So we'd love you yeah, to come to. Just this week, we pointed Rich and Deb Steinhardt to join us as wellness coaches for our missionaries in Europe. And uh, celebrating that. And grateful that it's this church that's going to send them out. Because Global yes. Partners doesn't send people. Churches send people. Yeah. We just facilitate it. And you're a sending church. Yeah, which both of you have been so catalytic in. Dave has been part of that. Thad is now part of that. You know, that I get to be part of that too. And so we thought to kind of put an exclamation on our time together, we'd like to have Rich and Deb come up. And uh, it's kind of the beginning of our sending. We'll be doing this throughout the year because they... They'll have more time. You guys are here. Yeah, there we are. The joy is that not only our emeritus, but Deb's father happens to be one of us. So we're going to let Ralph pray over them as a beginning and a dedication as we begin. It's my firstborn daughter. 
Father, we thank you so much for Rich and Deb, for their heart for God, and for their heart for God's purpose to reach people around the world. We uh, dedicated Debbie to you when, she, when we held her in our arms. We had no idea what, life, what was ahead, but we understood that she was yours. And you've called her and you've called Rich to make a difference in the lives of others, in the lives of missionaries on the field, to encourage them, to strengthen them, to pray for them, to meet their needs in ways that they can't meet their needs themselves. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. And as they go, we pray they will sense an outpouring, a double portion of your Spirit upon their lives. You've called them, and we're sending them, Lord, but they're going to need your resources. It's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by your Spirit, saith the Lord. And so, Lord, may your Spirit um, be a part of everything that they do, and may um, a slice of heaven be a part of the people that they touch to make a difference in their world as they reach people for the kingdom of God. All these things we ask in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We want to just thank Ralph and Dennis and obviously celebrate Rich and Deb too. If you could give all of them a hand. I want to give you just a few thoughts as we move ahead today. I do want to say this with Rich and Deb specifically. Um, it's an interesting thing. It's not like they just suddenly had to discern if they were called or not. Rich and Deb have been shepherding and caring for our teams on the field already for a long time. It is a natural movement to have them do this. And that's often how God moves, one step after another after another. So I just want to remind you that's a beautiful picture. And while we celebrate what's been, we want to look ahead to where God's leading us in this coming season. And to do that, I just want to take you with me uh, on a unique journey I had a few years ago. This is the artifacts and really the archaeology of Pisidian Antioch. It's in Turkey. Uh, it was a part of a trip that I was able to go on that was really meaningful for me. But I think there might be some things as we go back, if you kind of venture with me on this, that could be helpful for us today. I want to give you a little backdrop of this story where it falls into the New Testament church. Paul is there in Acts 13 is where we read about specifically this area. He's there with Barnabas. They've been doing some great work together to begin to help people understand that Jesus actually lived, died, and rose again and what it means. So what's happening is they go into the synagogue. This was their pattern every Saturday in whatever city they were. And they would basically, from Scripture, tell the Jewish believers, these Jewish people, and any God-fearers who were people that weren't Jews, but they were people that longed to know God that kind of hung around. They'd go through Scripture, what God's plan was from the beginning. And then they would crescendo. They would reach its pinnacle in telling that Jesus actually lived, he actually died, and they experienced his resurrection. And because of it, everything's different. And so it's this beautiful thing that as it was happening in the city, good and bad things would be responding. Lots of people wanted to hear more and lots of people wanted to respond to it. Jews and Gentiles discovering who God was. But at the same time, there was this kind of uprising of people that were angry to see the growth that was happening, that it was wrecking their kind of status quo life. 
and they began to oppose Paul and Barnabas. And so what happens in Acts 13 is Paul tells them, he recites for them an Old Testament prophecy, one that we use often in the church today, though Jesus couched it in new words. It said this, it is too small a thing for you to be my people, Israel. I want to become a light to the nations. I want everyone to know. I want you to see all the people around you as people who bear my image that they would know me too. And that day, Paul and Barnabas took a new shift, not just to the people of Israel, but to anyone who would respond. And what's fascinating is when they begin to move outside of themselves and not just into their own comfortable area, something happened. In fact, in Acts 13, it's described this way. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. When Paul and Barnabas began to really help people understand grace, something changed. Now, I, think you've, I hope you've already heard that today. When you listen to the story of our church, when you hear even Ron's journey from the beginning, one step after another, finding someone who was not knowing who Jesus was, saying, I'll be part of this, the church began. Because God's always called us to reach people beyond ourselves. But as you look at Ralph's story and Dennis's story and the story of our whole church, And even the story we have today, it's always been that God moves when we say it's not about us, it's about who we might reach. The church spreads and expands and grows. It's cool, isn't it? And it leads us to go, we don't wanna just look back and say those are good seasons. We wanna ask, how can that happen today? And before I even give us some thought to that, I wanna just remind you of a couple of things. They were things that really impacted me specifically when I was in the city and considering this, what happened here. And and I wanna give you three pictures from Paul's life that helped me in this. One of them actually happens two chapters later in Acts 15. Paul and Barnabas end up having a sharp dispute over who should go with them and where. Such a sharp dispute, they break relationship and go two different directions. Now tell me that's not a mess. It is. In fact, it's really kind of unsettling to go, man, these are leaders. How did they have such broken relationships, but what it tells me is God worked in the mess. And then I think, and there's other examples where Paul and, and his follow, other people with him, Barnabas and some others, John Mark is with him at this time, where they're making decisions which cities to go in, and they seem more either out of relationship or strategy, like, oh, John Mark has family here, let's go back there, we have some people we can connect to. And I realize sometimes in the church, We have these strategic things we do and we do the best at them. And then there's this side that we all, at least I do, I I hope we all long for, these Holy Spirit power things that you can't explain. Like, do you know that Paul has dreams at times of where he's supposed to go? I mean, tell me you don't wanna have a dream and God just tell you what to do tomorrow. Isn't that awesome? Or the fact that the power of God, the Holy Spirit is moving so in power that people are wanting to come near the things Paul's touched or the things that he's done, not because Paul has power, but because the Holy Spirit is moving in power inexplainably. And I tell you those three things because all I love is the word spread through the region and it spread in the powerful move of the Spirit. It spread in the best people could do and what they thought and it even spread in the mess. Now, come on, is that not good news? I will tell you as a leader, it's really good news because I, I would like to say I operate over here all the time, not so much. There are plenty of times where it's like, man, I, I've had brokenness and failure in what I'm doing, but guess what? God's still moving. We've done our best play at what, what we can. God's still moving. And let me tell you, man, when we can really depend on the Holy Spirit and go, we need you, which should be our posture all the time, God moves. 
Isn't it encouraging to know God moves through broken people like you and me and all of that? And I thought, what a good picture for us. But I wanna take you to what happened to us later in the day when we were in the city. Our guide took us on a different journey. And we actually walked several miles. We were back, you can't see where we were, but we walked up these hills and it was a couple of miles. It was one of the most difficult walks we had of all the walks we did on the trip. Uh, But what was so significant to me when he did it was after we got to this distance, he just stopped. And so we're like, well, where are we going? He goes, nowhere, we're just gonna stop here. And you're thinking, there's nothing to see. Why are we doing this? He said, I just wanna tell you something. So he sat down and in case you don't know, Paul had three missionary journeys, three different times that he traveled. In fact, if you, if you think about it, this is just a map of the three different journeys he took. And then he takes one to Rome. He said, let me tell you about his first journey. Did you know through that journey, he sailed 650 miles, but he walked 600 miles from city to city. Do you know in his second journey, he sailed about 1,400, and guess how far he walked? 1,400 miles. On his third journey, he sailed around 1,100, and he walked another 1,600 miles. And then he sailed to Rome. It had never hit me before, because we tend to read the gospel of Paul was here and now he's there, and how do we get from one place to another? Pretty simply, right? We're mad if the car doesn't get there fastest. Give me a plane. Paul walked one step after another step after another step after another step. Paul's whole journey is one step at a time. That's how he walked. And it's not just that he went from city to city. Sometimes he stopped in a city like Ephesus and he walked around for three years, day after day, moment after moment, interacting with people there, leading them to who Christ was and then discipling them over three years. Not some big moment, just one step and another step and another day and another day. Are you getting the picture here? You see, faith is meant to be something we do one step at a time. And it really is a simple thing I wanna challenge us in the coming season. It's just that each day you'd say, what's the next step I could take? Maybe I just need to take a next step. In fact, if I were to just give it to you in a thought, it would be that. What's your next step? What is the next step you'll take? It's the very same strategy we use when it comes to reaching people. And I call it redemptive relationships because it's not just how we reach out to somebody like we call it a one life. It's how we live in relationship with each other. Imagine if every relational opportunity you and I said, Holy Spirit, what do you wanna do now? How do I develop this friendship with who I'm near? How do I discover their story and not make it about me? And how do I discern what you wanna say to them today? How do you help me in what's one step? How do you show me, Holy Spirit, how to help them in their lives? And I'll give you two simple examples from my own. I'm always a bit reluctant because I wanna protect the privacy of my friends. So I hope it's generic enough I am doing that. So it was last week. Um, I was actually just going to a restaurant on, on a, after a church time, and I ran into somebody who's gone here for a while. Uh, I knew this young person, and they looked at me like people do. You know, when people haven't been at the church in a while and they see you as you're the pastor, they just look like horrified. <laughs> I know, I haven't been in a while. Well, this person was quite emotional because they had had a very tragic death in their relational world. And the person said to me, I'm just really upset right now. I'm, I'm angry at God. I don't know what to do. So if you're in that moment, what do you think the Holy Spirit would say to you? And I asked the Spirit, what do I do? 
And I still remember it because I felt this need, like I just kind of kneeled down at the table next to them and I just said, I'm, I'm so sorry. And I just want you to know, I think God's heart's broken with you. And I want you to know that you can tell him whatever you're angry about and confused about. And I was very clear with him. I don't know that he'll give you an answer, but I think he'll give you his presence. And I'm not sure answers help anyway. But I'd love to talk more if that would help. And I just want you to know he loves you and he aches with you. That's all I knew to give him in that moment. That's someone who follows Christ, but I'm asking the Spirit, how do you lead me in that moment? I have another friend who is a, is a guy that I've been reaching out to for a while. He's just someone that's become very dear to me. And we talk about faith at different times. He's kind of let me in on different things. And so, you know, I just am his friend. If he talks about faith with me, he will. There's times he doesn't. Well, we got in this one particular conversation and he announced to me, because we have other friends in common, he said, you invite a lot of our other friends to church. Why don't you invite me more? And I'm, okay. Well, the reason I hadn't was he acted like he didn't want to be. I'm like, I can change that today. That was a pretty clear leading from the Spirit. I said, I promise you the next time I see you, I'll ask you, but I do want you to be careful what you wish for. So to be honest with you, I ask him every time I see him now. And the last time, you know what he said to me? Hey, I tell you what, the next time we have a Sunday off, I'll be there. I said, I will look forward to that. That is a next step. I'm just asking the Spirit. Do you get the picture? This is not something God gives to pastors. This is something God gives to all of us. Imagine this year if you said, every day I will take a step in a redemptive way in whomever God puts in front of me. If they're believers, God, how do I move them towards you? If they're searching, God, how do I move them towards you? If they're hard to you, how do I move them? That's all we're asking, isn't it? Taking a step. I wanna challenge us to that because I'm thinking if we took those steps over the next year, do you think the life of the church would change? I do. I don't wanna leave it there though. I want us to consider what's our next step too. And so you'll see that connection card yet. I want you to pull it out. Please do pull it out. I'm gonna ask all of you to fill this out today. I asked you to fill it out earlier, but I'd like you to at least do this side. I will tell you if your pens don't work, we'll, you can get them in the lobby afterwards. But what I'm gonna ask you to do is just consider what would be a next step in your life. And we always have two areas we're encouraging you to move towards. One is a movement towards community. We say it's groups. And so what we'd say is we'd love you to take a step towards being in a group if you've never been in one, or even if you have and you aren't now. We do the groups on the 12 weeks of the winter, so what we, or this fall and winter. We'd say, we'd love for you to get in a group. On Tuesday, we actually have a group link if you're not in one that you can sign up for. And even if you check it today, we'll get back to you on that. If you wanna lead a group, we actually have a group leader meeting after church in the West Building. We'd say, even if you didn't sign up, go if you'd wanna lead because we need people that just love other people and would take that step. But if you're not in one, we're going, we'd love for you to check. I'll join a group. And if that's too far for you, just check Explore All Shores. Take the next step of finding out more of who we are as a church. And the second one that's so significant is serving. And I want to respond to you this way. We did a recent survey of many of you responded to it. Not all of you did. And by the way, for those that didn't get the survey, it's another reason to fill out the connection card because it means we don't have your email address. That's why you didn't get it. So if you put your email address, we'll have it. And if you, put, you don't have one and just put your mail address, we'll be able to mail you things as well. But we want to encourage that so we're getting good information to you. What I want to say with it, though, is your biggest response was, if someone asked me to serve, I'd do it. So here's the deal I'm asking you today. I'm saying to you, God made every one of you to engage in some way to serve. And all I'm saying is you check whatever area you want. You check serving opportunities in whatever area. Even ask the Spirit now, which area might be a step for me? We're not, you're not signing on for the rest of your life. You're just taking a step. Take a step and engage in the life of the church and see what might happen.
These will always be here every week, but I wanna encourage you this week to do this. It is a next step to take. And in a few minutes, we're gonna celebrate communion. We have these, uh, these different little baskets up here that that's where you're, we're gonna ask you to put your cards in a few minutes. But what I wanna do now is just pray. We're asking God to lead you in what is your next step in the life of our church. Now you imagine if all of us took next steps and began to practice this daily, where, where do you think we might get to a year from now? We're not gonna get there in these one big moments. We're gonna get there one step after another step, after another step, after another step. Paul walked thousands of miles, not in a day. The whole region the gospel spread, not in a day. It was one step after another step after another step. I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna finish our time celebrating communion and you'll have a chance to bring your cards up then too. And again, if you can't fill them out, you can put them in the lobby right at that kiosk in the middle. Let me pray for us now. Lord, I ask as we both look back and look ahead, I give you thanks for the legacy we have as a church for all the beginning from when Ron walked the streets just looking for someone to wanna find you. And that we're so grateful for the Chittenden family to say yes and the beginning of a church. God, in the same way, we're grateful for those who've gone before us in the church leading and then our leaders like Ralph and Dennis who've led before us. God, in the same way, we thank you for the things you've been building and we're just praying for more. Build more into our church and into our lives. And Lord, we're asking this year will be a year of us taking a step one after another after another. Lead us, Holy Spirit, in our relationships that we'd take steps and lead us, Holy Spirit, in our own obedience that we would step out in serving and engaging together. I pray this in your name, amen.